welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of Bricks and Clicks. We have a special two-part episode kicking off this week. We ran into a few technical difficulties with our guests, so this one ends a little bit abruptly. We're coming back next week to follow up the conversation with Lisa. Hope you all enjoy. Today, Colin and I are excited to talk to our guest, Lisa Curtis. Lisa is the co-founder and CEO of Coolie Coolie Foods, which is the leading brand pioneering sustainable superfoods, such as Moringa in the United States. Prior to founding Coolie Coolie, Lisa worked for the Peace Corp in Africa, in addition to interning for President Obama. Lisa, welcome to the show, and I can't wait to hear about the journey from the White House to founding and running Coolie Coolie. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're, we're really excited to have you on the show today. Yeah. I guess the first question we want to know is, what was it like? How did you get into an internship in the White House and with Obama? That sounds fascinating. Yeah. The cool thing about the Obama administration is they actually did a blind application process. So often interns in the White House are like whoever's parents or grandparents have donated a lot of money to the campaign. Then yeah. their kids mm-hmm. get split in. I think my parents donated like a hundred bucks. So certainly did not (laughs) meet that threshold, but I did a lot of community organizing in college and was pretty active on both sort of like environmental and social justice initiatives. And so just applied online and got the call and was so excited. It was an amazing summer, especially because it was the first summer he was elected. This was 2009. So there's just so much energy and enthusiasm. It's like, all right, we're going to tackle climate change and then we're going to tackle healthcare and then we're going to tackle immigration and (laughs) a little different than than the political climate we're in today. Did you actually get to uh, meet President Obama or did you ever talk to him or at him? I did. So I got to meet him twice. So as like a quick backstory, because it sounds funny, I had spent the previous summer in Kenya. And of course, everyone yeah. in Kenya was like, a Kenyan is being elected president of the U.S. He's running for yeah. office. They were so excited. They fully claimed him, um, which we all know he was born in America. Yeah. But they, everybody kept asking me, they're like, okay, when you get back to the U.S. and you Obama, like, figure out, does he actually speak Swahili? You have to speak Swahili to him. Let me, and I was like, oh, yeah, sure. If I ever meet the president of the U.S., like I'll speak Swahili to him. Like I'm never going to be the yeah. president of the U.S. And then I did, and I was like, okay, I guess I made the comment. So I was like, Dumbo, there you go. He was like, who is this white girl speaking Swahili to me? But he was actually, <laughs> he did not say that. He was very kind. And he was like, he replied, ah, I'm sorry. said, I'm good. And he was like, have you been to Kenya recently? And I was like, yep. And everyone there wants to know if you actually speak Swahili. And he was like, how'd I do? And I was like, I'm not an expert, but I think that was pretty good. He's like, okay, nice. you tell him. Nice. So that was great. And then the second one was funny. I was, uh, we, the, our intern class was meeting Obama on his day. We had a big sort of reception with him and I had organized all the interns to write a happy birthday card for him and I was going to give it to him. Yeah. And then I realized that this guy I was dating at the time who was also an intern shared a birthday with Obama. And so I let him give the card. That guy is now my husband. I like oh, to say that my, my first, my instinct was that I gave my husband Obama for his birthday. It's hard to top that birthday gift. I mean, I, that, I'm not. Ta- We've been dating for 15 years and I still haven't topped it. <laughs> that's very cool. So you mentioned Kenya and like Huli Kuli and Moringa. Is that how he got involved with this? What's the sort of the connection there? How did that work? Yeah, what happened? How him. would you get connected with Africa? It's actually a different trip. So I, you okay. know, I studied 
politics and international development, I'm always really interested in the African continent in particular because I feel like it gets painted with this brush of like poverty, aid, civil warfare. And clearly most Americans have no idea anything about any of the countries on the continent or the fact that it's not one country, it's 54. And I really wanted to go. And so I went in college and spent a summer working in Kenya and then after college, joined the Peace Corps and ended up mm. spending what was supposed to be two and a half years and yeah. ended up there was a terrorist attack seven months into my intern oh and gosh. they evacuated us overnight. And so the short version of a long story is I had just been starting to yeah. work with this women's group, starting to work with a super nutritious plant, Moringa. Originally, I started eating it myself and being like, oh, my God, this plant is amazing. It's making me feel so much better. How do I get? people locally to grow it and eat it and i think they wanted was a way to sell it and so originally the idea was okay let me help you sell it in like the local market and then i got back to america back to like my parents childhood basement and was like this sucks what am i doing here and i uh, decided that i wanted to find a way to keep that promise i wanted to find a way to help some women like the women i'd been working with in niger grow and sell Moringa in the U.S. So that was 2010, 2011. And we now are the largest Moringa brand in the world, as far as we know. Maybe we take a little step back. Could you tell me and the viewers what exactly is Moringa? Because it's probably something most of us have not, maybe not heard of or not bumped up against. It's a good question. It's a good question. It's up and coming, but yeah. still a lot of people have not heard of it. Moringa is actually a tree, which it sounds kind of weird to say like you're eating tree leaves, but they're amazingly nutritious. So this tree grows all over the tropics and the leaves are packed with calcium, iron, protein, vitamins, minerals. It's called the tree of life in a lot of places. And in fact, there's many... Mm. Um, preppers in the U.S. who think the world is going to end. These are a lot of them live in like mm. the South and they cultivate Moringa trees. because They're like, OK, when the world ends and everybody else has no food, we've got Moringa. We can survive. This plant has everything we need. Um, I would say for most oh, of our wow. customers, they use it as like an Are overall... the preppers your customers? Do you I mean, sell to them at all? Them. Some of them. Yeah. We, we see our, used... every once in a while we show up on these weird Facebook groups. And we're like, what <laughs> is this? I'm not turning down business. We accept all kinds. Of course not. Um, oh, yeah, of course not. <laughs> but majority of our customers use it because it provides kind of natural boost of energy from all the vitamins and nutrients and the phytochemicals. It just kind of gives your body everything it needs to feel good. So we sell it in the form so of So could you just powders. eat it? Like, yeah. If you walked you up to a tree it. and just grabbed a couple leaves, you could just eat it? No preparation needed? That's how I started eating it. And so that's where I was introduced to it in Niger, where they mixed mm -hmm. the leaves into this popular West African snack. It's a peanut snack called Kuli Kuli. And they're like, here, this mm -hmm. Kuli Kuli Moringa will make you feel better. Eat it every day. And I was like, maybe? That's gonna, this, this looks a little <laughs> weird. But I did it. It made me feel so much better, so much more energized. Just gave my body the nutrients it needed to feel good. And yeah, so we now. So how was, now what was that snack? So how was that snack prepared when you first had it? Like the it was actually something where we were, they make it with this peanut ball where they like cook off, they separate mm. out the peanut oil from the resin and make this little ball. Sometimes yeah. it's made in like a stick format. And then where I was in Niger, they would add, add moringa leaves to it and add like a little bit of spices. And it was delicious. It was an incredible way to get moringa. That was actually our first products. So when I came back to the U.S. and wanted to find a way to continue to support these women, started Cooley Cooley and 
started working with Moringa and tried to make that same snack and didn't really work from like a manufacturing perspective. So we ended up moving to the bar format, yeah. but kept the name and sort of the honor of the spirit in which we were doing this. Very cool. Yeah, I was just going to ask, do you have a product like that in your line? But it sounds like that's what you started with and then made the switch into, I guess, what, what, like the powder. Is that sort of your biggest product group or where? what are your yeah. top sellers in terms of your focus? Yeah, so it's funny how like products change over time. We now, yeah, starting with bars, now definitely powders is our kind of best selling product. So we sell the pure moringa powder. We also sell it as an energy shake and also as a superfood blend. And then we mm. have gummies as well. So we are much more in the supplement slash like functional food, superfood aisle these days. What's that like for you? Like you're sourcing this from pretty small farms, I imagine. Yes. Um, a large number of small farms. What's that like dealing, I guess, dealing with smaller farms at a pretty far distance halfway around the world? It's not easy. You know? And it's definitely labor of love, I will say. It's very cool from kind of an impact perspective in the sense that we know exactly how it ground. It also helps us ensure that we're getting like the top quality Moringa. But it means, you know, we're not sourcing from like a big commodity broker. It's not, oh, like, here, flip the switch and send me another container of Moringa. It's more like working with lots of different small farming groups, figuring out what can they produce, on what timeline, building in. At this point, we we build in eight months from harvest to it arriving in our warehouse. So it is a long lead time supply chain. How did that go with COVID in terms of COVID was rough. Like dealing with that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It was really rough. I think the thing that Save does, which... Sounds like a weird thing to say was that our we had prepared for a couple of very large retail launches. And so we had built up a ton of inventory. We were supposed to launch into like mm. 800 new Walmart. We were supposed to launch into a bunch of new stores all in April 2020. And as we all know, all of those resets got canceled. And so we were literally yeah. sitting on over a million dollars worth of inventory that we at first were like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. And then we sort of realized what was happening on the logistical front. And we're like, oh, maybe this is the best thing ever because we have supply. And Product. We didn't go out of stock during COVID at all. We Amazing. were really fortunate in that regard. That's, yeah, that's very lucky. I'm glad that worked out because that time period, we're still dealing with it now in terms of the supply chains and fill rates and PA issues. It's just so stressful. Yeah, and we all right. know I mean, cutting orders to retailers and our customers is the worst thing we can do. So I'm glad you're totally. here. That's our number one rule is to stay on shelf. We'll say it was like, I don't think our investors felt particularly lucky when our revenue like dropped. <laughs> that's not fun. Good. So you went this, you started this company based on, hey, I want to be able to become an ambassador for Moringa and move and buy these, buy this from those great sources in Africa. How did you start selling your business when you got back to America? Like, how did that look like? Who was your first retailer? How'd yeah. you get into CPG, the CPG world and building a brand? Um, very slowly, actually. I feel like yeah. sometimes people tell their founding story and it's, oh yeah, and I did this and then I launched and then I was all of a sudden nationwide. And, in all uh, the targets. Yeah. And all the targets. And I'm always like, I'm yeah. like, I will click on that. Like, when did you actually start? And so I like telling sure. people like very transparently, like I got back from being abroad in 2011 and we did not launch onto the market until 2014. First off, got a day job because I was a former Peace Corps volunteer, had no money. And this was my like night yep. and weekend side hustle had to figure out like, how do we even import? Like, how do we get it through all these FDA requirements? 
we had to figure out like how to make yeah. it grass generally recognized as safe. We had to figure out like just like so many logistical things. And then I think the biggest thing for me is like you said at the beginning, most people hadn't heard of it. I wanted to figure out before I quit my job, put my meager savings all in, will people actually buy this? And so I recruited yeah. a couple of friends as co-founders and we started making these little bars by hand in a commercial kitchen and then doing consumer research at farmer's markets where we were like surveying everybody who came and tried it, trying to get down what their apartment age, did they have kids with them? What did they like? What did they not like? And then did they buy? Mm -hmm. And really trying to figure out our conversion rate from sample to sale. And our goal was yeah. to get 16% of people who tried it to buy it, which is kind of the benchmark we'd heard of was like meant it was a worthy product. And we were getting more like 20 plus person. So we're like, okay, maybe awesome. we've got some any, momentum here. Was there anything you remember, like any big learnings when you were doing that sampling, like something you didn't think would be a hit and was a hit oh, yeah. or... Help to I mean, guide where you're going to go next. What, what were the big ones? I think the biggest learning for me is Bleeding Heart Peace Corps volunteer. I was just like, try this bar. It helps women in Africa. It's so good for the world. It plants trees. And everybody was like, what? And I would literally have, it was like the most frustrating thing. Like we would have these people who would come and spend 30 minutes talking my head off about our mission. And then they'd walk away and not buy anything. And in their mind, they yeah. were like, they, it wasn't putting them in a purchasing state of mind. It was like, oh, a nonprofit or like a cool initiative versus like when we did a lot of A-B testing and we switched our messaging to like, try this new superfood, more nutritious than kale, more anti-inflammatory than turmeric, has tons of protein, calcium and iron, gives you day, all day energy. People are like, yeah, oh, this is cool. Yeah, I'll buy it. And then it was like, quick sale. Amazing. So we, we learned very quickly that people do not go to the store and look for the most impactful thing on shelf. Yeah, that's it's great. You got to basically get an MBA in marketing doing that, right? Like learning features and benefits and all that stuff, which is, that's very cool. Well, that approach of like starting from day one on like, we're going to start collecting data is I've never heard of someone, I think that early being like, I'm going to write down some actual stats about the people that I talked to. Ben and Jerry, there's the Ben and Jerry story about how they, where they, how they decided where to put their first location was they sat on the sidewalk with the counter to count how many people were walking by. Kind of reminds me of that, like being very yeah, intentional. Yeah, I think it's really important. I honestly think it helped in some ways that we had no money because we had to figure out like, how do we prove a sales story with no money? Like we had no money to manufacture the product and test it at retail. Like all we had was like manual labor of ourselves. And so really we're like, okay, yeah. let, let's make bars by hand and let's test them out at farmer's markets. And then what we ended up doing and what kind of worked for us is we got enough stats. We had surveyed over 500 people. We were able to take that to Whole Foods and say, hey, here's what our average target customer looks like. We think this is very similar to who shops in your stores. Here's the conversion rate here's what they like about the product. And it meant that we got into NorCal Whole Foods and they launched us in wow. 2014. That's crazy. That's a great story. So was that your intention to go into Whole Foods? Did you have connections there or did you just think that was a really good spot to be? That's that's a hard retailer um, to get into. It's very hard. I think I've like always yeah. thought of Whole Foods as the gold standard. And so that was always like the goal. The connection actually yeah. came from just the farm race yeah. market, like a Whole Foods employee was doing their shopping at the farmer's market and said, have you thought of going to the local forager with this? And I didn't even know what a local forager was. And I was like, no, how do I do that? 
Colin, do you hear the dirty nail playing? I think that is the dirty nail. Lucas, is that the dirty nail? It is. I, I hit the play button instead of hearing Lisa's answer to the question. So we're going to have to turn this one into a, a two-parter. Well, I hope everyone comes back and downloads next week's episode to hear the exciting future of Cooley Cooley. That's what